Welcome to the ESOP Podcast Summer School. We've selected highlights from our archives featuring employee owners that we'll re-release all summer. Because they're from the archives, please remember links and email addresses may no longer be valid. As you enjoy summer school, we'll be working hard behind the scenes to bring you new content and services this fall that are better than ever. Visit our new website at theesoppodcast.com. Enjoy summer school. Welcome to the ESOP Podcast, brought to you by Capital Trustees, keeping you up to date on all things ESOP. Hi, everyone. This is Brett Kiesling of Capital Trustees. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I'm joined today by Ken Baker. Ken is the CEO of New Age Industries based in Southampton, Pennsylvania. Uh, New Age Industries is a manufacturer of plastic tubing and hose and RFID solutions. And Ken's also the chairman and co-founder of the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership. How are you, Ken? Doing very well. Thank you, Brett. Thank you very much for joining us here today. Yes, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm a very big advocate in employee ownership and ESOPs in general and uh, love love talking about it. And Ken, we would have uh, been happy to have you on for a couple of ESOP uh, episodes because your roles are so distinct. you're the second generation uh, member of your family uh, uh, to be with New Age. Uh, you are uh, the chairman, as we said, of the Pennsylvania CEO. So do you feel like talking about ESOPs generally, or do you want to start with talking about yourself and New Age? Well, I, I don't... You talk, talk, talk about talking, about, uh, talking about New Age is, you know, it's a, it's a very important project of... of that I have of my uh, on my agenda, um, this uh, employee ownership is kind of a, a social experiment, if you will. And the the question is, if you if you make people owners and give them a piece of the action, will they change their behavior um, in their workplace? Will you change the whole idea of work to them? And will you make work a different point of view in their mind? And um, so that's I'm in that middle of that experiment right now. I'm in my 11th year of that. And it seems like the answer to those questions is yes, uh, things do change. Um, but it does take time for the idea of employee ownership to permeate into a person's mindset of how he views work. Um, and it also uh, takes uh, training to actually educate the uh, employees about what uh, the ESOP is, how does it work, uh, what is their role in the ESOP, and what is their not role in the ESOP, and I can explain that a little bit later. Um, But also, uh, what are the rules uh, of an ESOP, and what are the benefits that you can get out of being part of an ESOP? And Ken, before we get to that, and you mentioned it's an academic question, but you actually have the laboratory here where New Age is uh, focused on that. Let's circle back and and bring our listeners up to speed on on how you got here 11 years into the ESOP. So I understand, was it your father who was the founder of New Age? Yes, he started the business um, 64 years ago. I was just born, and he bought uh, a company called New Age International, and um, it was really an importer of uh, metal hardness testing equipment and other uh, equipment from Europe. And he, um, he bought it from an English um, 
uh, businessman, and he changed the name after he bought it from this English uh, um, English businessman to New Age um, New Age Industries. Um, my first job working for the, the company was age six. I actually got paid for collating literature around the dining room table and folding literature and putting it into envelopes and uh, doing all those types of jobs that I guess a 60-year-old could do. There, was, there wasn't really a, a big demarcation line between the family and the business back then. Really, everybody really uh, chipped in. I, had, I have um, uh, three siblings. And um, so I did various jobs in the company, uh, worked in the warehouse during the summer when uh, the warehouse uh, guys were on vacation. Um, and when I was age nine, I worked uh, in the printing operation. We actually turned our rec room in our house into a printing operation for the literature and the Bro brochures for the company and my father taught me how to operate the uh, printing press so I worked that and then in high school I was the janitor for all four years I uh, washed the windows uh, cleaned the toilets and did all that type of thing uh, for the uh, corporation so after after that um, uh, I went to college but uh, I'm seriously dyslexic and college really didn't work out for me. I dropped out and went to work and uh, went, uh, went to work for a marketing communication company. Uh, did that for about 12 years. And then I came back full time in uh, 1985 when the person running the division that I am running now uh, retired. And so, um, uh, I got to work, and back then we were just a distribution company. We buy and resold uh, tubing that we imported from Europe as well as in the United States and resold it. And um, uh, things were very good. And uh, then in 1990, uh, things went a little bit bad for us uh, being a distributor, and we had to become a manufacturer. We really remade the company and being a manufacturer. So we, we uh, hired an individual, Jerry Schmidt, a very talented extrusion person, and he directed us to how to manufacture tubing and hose, and uh, we were off to the races. In the middle 90s, I got a brochure across my desk which talked about employee ownership in ESOPs. And it really intrigued me because at the time we were going through TQM training, total quality management right. training. And back then, the Japanese in the early 90s and the late 80s were just kicking the American butt uh, car companies with quality. And uh, so total quality management was the way that American companies could transition or transform themselves into a higher level type of manufacturing organization. And with that, we hired a consultant to come in and teach us interpersonal skills training, statistical process control training, all different types of training to bring our organization to a higher level of quality. And Ken, how many employees did you have at the time? Back Just then, tell us, yeah, a little back, bit about back then we were we were only about uh, about twenty five thirty employees. Okay, and so I got this brochure, and I I figured that um, if 
I wanted I wanted a committed workforce, a truly committed workforce, and and really maybe a work uh, a work environment that really was kind of special in America. And I thought I would not be able to achieve that until I gave ownership. And this brochure that I got was about a two-day seminar in Chicago uh, that talked about ESOPs and how employee ownership could transform an organization and transform the idea of work. So I went out there and spent two hours and I said, this is, when I get control of New Age, this is what I'm going to do. So at the time, my brother was involved with the business. He was running another division. My father was principal shareholder. And so I had to wait my time while things happened. So over time, I bought out my brother, bought out my father. And in 2000, uh, I had our marketing company write a futuristic newsletter to all of the employees saying that in 2006, we would become a 30% ESOP. And I'm sorry, which year did you write the? In the year 2000. So you said in six years, we're gonna be an ESOP. Right, because I had to, I had to get out of debt. Um, I felt that I wanted to get into this environment of employee ownership, because I had bought out my brother and bought out my father, and I, we had just bought a building here in Southampton worth a, you know, a lot of money. And so, um, so then, 2006 rolls around and I was out of debt and it was time to uh, uh, fulfill on my promise that I made to all the employees and that's when I sold 30% of the uh, uh, new age to the employees. Ken, let me ask a question because we often, uh, first of all, Capital Trustees does a number of transactions, as yes. you're aware, each year. Yes. And a number of times, transactions are always for different reasons, but a number of times the selling shareholder wants to sell, wants to move on. It's part of the exit strategy, and the selling shareholder may stick around for a few years, but it's actually at the end. This is quite the opposite. You you had no intention of retiring. You weren't slowing down. You really, as a business decision, wanted to pass the ownership to your employees. Is yes, that correct? Yes. Um, yeah, I was in my middle uh, 50s, and uh, I was enjoying work. Uh, I enjoyed our team members, and um, life was good. And so um, I felt that um, uh, this was a goal of mine. I wanted to see if employee ownership really would transform an organization. And, and I thought that was a, a very interesting uh uh, goal of mine. So yes, and and I'm still involved. Here it is, eleven years later, and I'm still enjoying the work. And uh, we are now a forty nine percent ESOP. And just how long ago did that happen? Um, so we we did, as I mentioned, thirty percent in two thousand six. We did. I did another tranche uh, deal in uh, two thousand twelve, and then I did nine uh, percent in two thousand sixteen. So the ESOP owns 49%. I still own 51%. And obviously, you uh, uh, don't have to make any decisions until you make them. But is it your intention uh, that the ESOP will remain 49%? Do you have a vision for the future? Yes. Um, well, my long-term vision for the organization is to turn the organization into 100% ESOP 
And actually, a hundred years from now, and we actually have this written down in a vision statement, that a hundred years from now, it will be a privately held, employee-owned uh, company, 100% owned by its employees. So that's that's where we want to go. Your hundred-year goal is that it still be an ESOP? Yes. Wow, that's, that's very impressive. I, I admit... I haven't heard that, and with the 100 year goal, as somebody who's not sure what I'm doing next Monday, I give you credit for uh, looking so far into the future. Right. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing next Monday, so anyway. Well, that's <laughs> that's why you can plan out farther than right. I, right. I can. Ken, let me ask, uh, you had talked about, I think it would be very helpful if perhaps a company shareholder were considering an ESOP transaction, you had referenced that you thought you would get benefits from the workforce out of becoming employee-owned. Tell us what your experiences were or what you've gotten out of it, and then what you wish you knew back when you had done the transaction, right. if anything. Well, um, the, the company has grown quite a bit since the ESOP has been uh, implemented. Now, and the question is, was it because of the ESOP? Was it because of our strategic planning strategy? Was it because of our wonderful team members? I wish I had a parallel universe when I could have two or three companies exactly the same with the exact same people and you just tweak one and then you you know you do your experiment. Well, I don't have that. But what I can say is that the share price has gone up about 600% in 11 years. Uh, sales have uh, doubled in that period of time. Um, uh, we have our ESOP... Uh, Trust is worth over $25 million, and we've distributed over $6.2 million to retirees, and that was only uh, a couple dozen people. So it, it, it is doing the job from those statistics standpoint, but let me tell you a, a little story about how it also transforms the organization. Um, when I'm in the office, uh, and I'm in the office a lot, I do my MBWA, managing by wandering around. So when I'm doing that, I'm saying good morning to uh, uh, team members and happy birthday to this individual and how was the, the um, weekend. And one day, I see one of the fork truck drivers. We have many fork trucks in the organization bringing raw material to the uh, equipment and taking the finished goods away. And I see this fork truck driver laying a patch, spinning the wheels of the fork truck, basically beating up the fork truck, beating up the floor of the warehouse, um, and just not doing very good for any of the assets of the organization. So as the CEO, I go up to the individual and very calmly I say, why is it that you're beating up your fork truck? And the individual kind of jumps back and looks at me with wide eyes and doesn't have very much to say. And then I say to him very softly, and I point to another team member on the factory floor and I say, why are you building, why are you beating up Joe's fork truck? Because he owns 49% of that fork truck. At this point, his head goes down and he kind of slumps. It's a different conversation to have with your team members of your organization. They own 
the assets of the corporation. They own that scrap that they just generated on the floor. They own the electricity that is running the, the equipment. So it's, it's indicative of them to actually take them and utilize them wisely because when they do, they put more money in their pockets. And if their team members are not doing that well, then their team members should actually instruct them and uh, say how to handle those assets and those um, expenses and or what have you so they can actually benefit from uh, that. And Ken, one of the things that strikes me is you, uh, from what I know of you, uh, come across as an even-tempered, thoughtful person. But I'm just imagining how the conversation would have played off if played out if you had seen the fork truck driver doing that and it was 100% your fork truck. Would it have been hit the road? Because that would happen in a lot of companies. Did you have a little bit more of an incentive to uh, uh, show him the error of his ways and try yeah, and get him on board? Absolutely. It's, it, 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 I would have had a different conversation. Now, I probably wouldn't have told him to hit the road, but I, I would have had a much different conversation and maybe written him up and all that. But I guarantee you he probably had told some of his other team members about that conversation and, and how he erred, and um, hopefully that did get permeated within the organization. So... In terms of, uh, tell us a little bit about New Age Today, just, and obviously not disclosing anything controversial, or I'm sorry, confidential, but just a little footprint of everything that you're in and, and, and how you think the ESOP helped you get from where you were 11 years ago to today. So um, New Age Now is a um, uh, $45 million operation. We, um, uh, we have three operational divisions where we make industrial and food-grade tubing and hose. We make um, high-purity tubing and hose for the pharmaceutical processing industry. And we also have a division that supplies RFID tagging and computers and software to the medical device industry. So uh, we currently have 150 employees. We've grown quite a bit over uh, the years of, of the ESOP been in, in existence. And um, uh, I view that the ESOP has transformed the organization and transformed people. You have new people coming into the organization that have worked for, let's say, 15, 20 years for other organizations, and they come into this organization with a bit of a jaundice eye towards the CEO, towards management, towards ownership. And over time, you can see that melting away where we're a bit, we're more participative uh, uh, management here where we have many committees and uh, uh, people have a say in how things are run. Now, there's, they're not, there's only one hand on the tiller of the boat, um, but there is certainly a lot of input that is being given through these committees and through individuals to make the organization better. And I do think that it's the atmosphere and the philosophy of employee ownership that fosters that. And there is only one hand on the, the will. I think it's a tiller. Uh, right. And I'll uh, be as wrong about my 
uh, selling references as I am about what I'm doing next Monday. But you're right. You are uh, uh, George W. Bush was characterized as the decider. Decider, yes. How? My two questions are: How does the ESOP play? The fact that it's an ESOP play into the decision-making process. Like, where do you bring the team in if you're going to make an investment? And how do you think it might have been different if you had maintained 100% ownership and and made all the decisions yourself? Because you seem like you would be interested. The and we should explain, uh, Ken, the MBWA, which we're probably going to steal and, and talk about elsewhere, so I'll give you credit, the management by walking around, that has nothing to do with being ESOP. That's your management no, style. No, that's management style. So you probably, the reason why the ESOP fit so well for you, well, you still were envisioning a long time with the company, is because the ESOP fit with what you were doing anyway. I would imagine. So is it just that it's building on what you already had and the culture that you were trying to establish, or were there other changes? Well, I, I think it was, a, it was a good fit for the culture that my father set out way back when. Um, he used to call himself the benevolent uh, um, uh, manager. Um, he was very kind and gentle towards the employees. And uh, he didn't raise his voice, and I'm not sure how many people he really fired over his his tenure as as the CEO. And I kind of continued that, but I I felt that it was the right um, uh, business model for for my personality as well. And I am a people person. I I uh, I trust people. Uh, I, I, people don't have to. Um, uh, show me trust before I give trust. I give trust before they, they show it to me. And I think that has gone well for for me uh, over the years. And I think that's exactly what the ESOP is about. I trusted that if I gave these shares and this opportunity to this broad group of people that they would run with it. They would do good by it and do good by the company and their fellow man and woman. And uh, I, I have seen that in the organization. I've seen uh, the, the encouragement by others that have no responsibility to actually say, don't do that or do this because there's not a, um, a ladder of management to that person, but they do do it. They, they help out, they advise, they instruct, and um, it's great to see that. Ken, as I walked in to your facility in Southampton, uh, there's a bust in your, of, of your father in the lobby of the building uh, as the one who formed New Age after the purchase uh, from the British gentleman. Uh, does the ESOP, and, and you're the second generation, how does the ESOP fulfill uh, your father's legacy and even perhaps yours? Well, um, I think it's very important to fulfill my father's legacy. He worked very hard. I, I watched him work 18-hour days, come home exhausted uh, as, as, as a kid, and uh, just put his heart and soul into it, as well as my mother. Uh, she worked for the company for several years, and and um, one of my other brothers, he worked uh, very hard for the company. So there, there is a Baker legacy here, but it, it really comes down to my father. And so that's one of the reasons why I um, uh, contracted an artist to do a bust 
in the uh, lobby so people don't forget that. Um, and the ESOP, if I would have sold the company, which I get offers all the time uh, to uh, entertain uh, selling the organization, I'm sure that the legacy of my father would be lost, would be destroyed. They would change the name of the company and they would probably move this factory to North Carolina or Mexico or who knows where. And uh, the, the bust of my father would be out on the, um, in the um, uh, dumpster uh, probably the, the day of the uh, sale. But all of that is okay as long as there's enough money, right, Ken? Legacy doesn't matter as long as we make enough money. Well, you know, how much money is enough, really? Let's, let's talk about that a little and bit. And just to be clear, obviously, we're not talking about money. It is the legacy is the thing. Exactly. And, and legacy, how much can you buy of legacy? I mean, um, you know, my father has passed away six years ago, and, and um, uh, this, is, this is something that he built, and I feel a, um, a pull in order to actually keep it going for him as well. And, and also to teach the young people coming in, especially the uh, millennials that um, are a little bit short-sighted about things sometimes, to, to teach them that uh, legacy is good and having elders and, and uh, knowledge that is passed down through um, uh, different uh, elderly people uh, is, is a good thing and shouldn't be destroyed for the sake of an extra million dollars here or an extra million dollars there. Have your expectations been met with the employee ownership for what you entered into? Has it been met as you've done the different tranches to bring it to 49%? Uh, or have there been surprises and disappointments or all of that? No, I, yes, I, I've, 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 been, um, I've been surprised by the, um, uh, the transformation of the organization. Um, uh, being the size that we are, uh, we've grown nicely over the years, and I've, I really, I'm, I'm very fortunate, and uh, I, I think that the the organization has grown nicely, and all the team members have contributed to that, and I think that it's part of that, not all of it, but part of that is because that they do have a piece of the action, and they they do respect that. Now, one of the downsides, you mentioned that, and I, I have to mention this, and the, the downside is that the employees don't get it right away. And sometimes it takes a year, maybe a year and a half, for the vast majority of them to start getting what you're trying to do. And you can accelerate that by training, by educating the um, the employees of the organization about what what could have happened to the organization, meaning selling it to a multinational, a private equity firm, or a competitor, and what would happen to the company if you did that. That's one level of education. Then the next level of an, an education is what did the what did the shell, seller shareholder do for you. Um, and what are the benefits of that? And how does it work? And how will it help you in your retirement and your family? 
So that takes quite a while, and we do five hours of training on that, five one-hour sessions for all new team members, and that's very important. And just to be clear, five one-hours, uh, five one-hour sessions just on ESOP and culture-related training. training. Well, that's Absolutely. a significant investment. Yes, it, it is. As a matter of fact, I just finished one class, and I'm starting another class uh, in uh, two weeks. Um, and, and you teach the class yourself? I teach the class myself. I'm, I think I'm the, 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 pers- the best person to do that because I, I was there at the beginning, and I give my perspective of, of the situation. And um, uh, I think that resonates with the, um, with the, the group. Well, there's probably, and I'm not suggesting, and I assume you aren't as well, that every CEO should be doing ESOP training. But at the same time, I would imagine all of your new hires have to be saying, if the CEO feels this is important enough, they're going to take it seriously as well. Yes. I, I think that all CEOs should come in and introduce themselves and endorse it in front of the group. HR could do the training if it's a large enough organization, yes. Uh, but I, I think that the CEO should put their stamp on approval and and actually say to them that you know the organization and upper management is committed to employee ownership, and uh, we're we're all in this together. I think that resonates with the group, and particularly in the large organizations, and and you have over a hundred employees, and and I believe we'll be adding more. Though we're all in this together, it gets more important the larger the organization is, so that everybody knows that you are in this. Yes, yes, absolutely. Is, is there anything that you wish you had known when you started the transactions or, or started on the path? Is there anything that caused a stumble that you would avoid now? Uh, any advice for someone who's considering a transaction now? Well, I think education is important. And also, um, uh, getting the right service providers involved with the transaction is important. And so uh, when, when we were doing it, um, uh, there wasn't an organization that would direct us to the service providers that we could uh, align ourselves with. And that uh, led me to uh, uh, co-founding an organization called the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership. I uh, uh, found that with um, uh, Dan Adley out in Pittsburgh. And that organization is dedicated to the idea of promoting ESOPs within and employee ownership within Pennsylvania. And part of that is we have vetted uh, ESOP service providers that have a tremendous amount of experience in ESOPs and that we uh, help companies which want to be an ESOP with their journey to in selecting uh, the right service providers so they actually get a good outcome with their ESOP. Because in my experience, people... Companies can find service providers, but ESOPs are so specialized that you really want to make sure that it's, uh, whether we're talking evaluators or lawyers or trustees, what have you, that they've actually got familiarity with ESOP uh, world and and uh, uh, can truly be excellent. That's coming to PA CEO as opposed to just right. going on Google and looking for someone. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the ESOP is becoming a lot more... 
uh, visible within the business world and some people are kind of jumping into it and maybe doing one deal and saying they're an ESOP uh, expert. Well, that doesn't make you an ESOP expert. It, it, it's, it is, it's complicated, but not that complicated if you get the right service providers that can guide you down the right roads. And, um, and so I, uh, I employ uh, the um, uh, people that I talk to, CEOs and founders, to follow some of these um, uh, service providers that are very experienced, that have been doing this for uh, 5, 10, 15 years and have done many uh, deals and have uh, understand where the pitfalls are with these ops. And can uh, I wasn't expecting that I'd have to do any disclosures for this episode, uh, and, and then I realized I would. Uh, Capital Trustees is one of the founding sponsoring organizations of Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership, and Kevin McPhillips, who's the executive director of uh, PACEO, uh, was the guest on episode eight of the SOP podcast, so we've actually uh, had a lengthy conversation with Kevin. Why don't you talk about First of all, I'm going to ask you why, and then you can tell me how. But in your perspective, you're in your 60s. You have been financially fortunate in your life. Uh, You come to the office. You don't need to financially, perhaps. But even so, you could work very hard and just see the growth of new age industries. But you've actually been a one-man drummer, if you will, the one-man band for creating new ESOPs, particularly in Pennsylvania. Why why do that, and then uh, how you do it as well. But what's your motivation to want to spread it? Well, I've seen over the last 10 to 20 years the, the issue, and it's not just private equity, it's also multinationals. I, I've seen the carnage that has happened when private equity, not all private equity, but many private equity companies, and multinationals, not all multinationals, but many multinationals, when they buy small and mid-sized companies, what happens to those companies? And what happens to them, not all the time, but many times, is they come in and they many times get gutted. They lay off employees, they, um, they move the plants to uh, lower uh, wage locations, maybe even outside of the company, uh, country to Mexico or China or Vietnam. Uh, they, in the, in the form of private equity, and once again, not all private equity, but I've seen that the, they only care about the cash within the organization and how much cash they can get out of the organization. And then in three to five, maybe to seven years, they're often selling it again. They really don't care about the employees. They don't care about the customers. They don't care about the uh, company in general or even the products. They only care about what cash can they get out for their return on investment. And I don't think that's American. I really don't. I think if you're truly a capitalist, and I am a capitalist, when you share capitalism, the pile gets bigger for everybody. And that's what employee ownership is, is shared capitalism, where you're, you're sharing the wealth of the organization and what can be created. And um, why should the one or two guys at the top make all the money? 
I really think that one and one equals three. And when you have employee ownership and you have a group of people working really hard that have a piece of the action, the pile just gets bigger for everybody. And this, this carnage that has happened over the years, and I've seen it time and time again, is just not right. And it, it just creates havoc within families, within companies, and within communities. And think about it, if you have a community of 5,000 people and you have a company of 500 people in it, and that company gets moved out of state, out of country, what happens to that community? What happens to the tertiary businesses like the, um, the bakery and the um, uh, dry cleaner and the uh, nail salon and the, uh, the general store or the supermarket? What happens to those businesses? What happens to the tax base of that organization? It erodes. And then the, the schools erode and the, and the uh, roads erode and, and everything. So employee ownership companies, they stay put because the owners are there. They were there and after the deal, they stay there and they grow it and they make it more prosperous and they make it bigger and they hire more people. It's a wonderful model. But let me ask you this. The private equity firms come in and they throw around big money and then seven years later, and you're absolutely right, it, it, you don't have to be around business that long to know that they're going to strip things out, they're going to uh, shuffle the parts, et cetera, and they're going to sell everything off in, in five to seven years. Although they're looking to maximize their profit short term, I've always felt very strongly with all the statistics about ESOP companies, fewer layoffs, you know, there's about a 4% uh, uh, bump to the bottom line if it's an effective ESOP, that it's actually a better business. Like, like the private equity firms are decimating uh, communities, and, and you had said that you thought it was un-American, I believe, but I also think it's not great business. I mean, they're making short-term profit, but that's all they're doing is making profit. Well, it's making profit for themselves, and they're not really for the business. They're for the business of me, the private equity firm. And, and they're not for the business that they've bought, really. And in a way, they're against that business. They're just milking that business for the cash. And, and how can you, if, you're, if your horizon is three to five years of selling it, you're certainly not going to invest that piece of machinery that may take three to five years for that return on investment. Uh, uh, because, and, there, and then I'm sorry, but then you're not going to have the jobs for the people who would run sure, that sure, machinery, et cetera, absolutely. et cetera. So you're actually just managing the downward right. uh, turn of the company. Let me ask Ken, and, and I appreciate your time today. We only have a couple of minutes left. If a uh, uh, shareholder, uh, someone who owns the company or a couple of people that own a company, uh, you've said get advisors or that sort of thing. Is there a size of company where you say start looking at it or if somebody calls you, what type of questions? What advice would you give in the couple minutes we have left? Right. There's, there's three acid tests as the start. Uh, number one, you really have to have at least 25, 20 to 25 employees. That gives the organization mass. Uh, you got to be profitable on a consistent basis because there's going to be a loan to be paid off, an external loan. 
And you really can't have a toxic culture within the organization. There's got to be some trust between current ownership and the rank and file. If you get over those three hurdles, there's a couple other minor ones, but those are the major hurdles. And, and so they are the, and also the owner of the firm, um, many ESOPs, if you have a um, strategic buyer, a strategic buyer may offer a price for a firm which is much higher than it's really worth because they may be taking that um, competitor off the table. And so they may not do a, um, they, you, ESOP will not get a strategic value from uh, the uh, purchase, but they will get a financial value. So if the owner is looking for top dollar, top dollar, and doesn't care about the company and wants to go to Florida to golf, um, that may not be the owner uh, that is right for an ESOP as well. However, if you have an owner that does care about the company, does, does care about the people who help build the company for them, cares about the community, and cares about the uh, legacy of the company after he or she leaves, then the ESOP or employee ownership is a good um, possibility for a business model for them. It's funny because, as you said, that I know that in the transactions that I've seen in the last 10 years that I've been doing this, um, there are some that, like yourself, where the ESOP was a good cultural fit. And then there are others where, where the selling shareholders looked at the ESOP as the last resort, you know, that they couldn't otherwise sell it. And first of all, if it's the last resort, there could be a question as to why. Uh, but even if you're selling it with that motivation, be prepared to address the culture and the employees and bring everything in. Yes, you're right about that. That's right. Well, it, it, the ESOP is not for a financially distressed company. If you got financially a financial problem and you got one foot in the grave, absolutely do not consider the ESOP option at that time. Get it out of the grave, get it back to profitability, and get it into a good working situation, and then go forth and look at the ESOP. Um, the ESOP is not a management tool. It is an ownership uh, structure. You still have to have good management. You still have to have um, a good culture within the organization. An ESOP can help with that culture, but you still have to have good regulations, good rules, um, and good people, good HR policies, all of these types of things. And an ESOP just can't help a, a dying organization. you got to get it back on its feet and then consider ESOP. I'm going to leave you with uh, a final thought, Ken. We spoke uh, earlier in the podcast about your father's legacy and how your father's legacy is very important to you. And in a couple of conversations we've had this afternoon, I've talked about your own legacy and you've demurred uh, that it's about your father's legacy. Let me suggest, Ken, as the CEO of New Age Industries and as the chairman and co-founder of the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership, your personal stewardship of New Age and your personal commitment to the ESOP community is very much part of your father's legacy 
because you are your father's son and every step you take in the ESOP community furthers what your father started out to do 64 years ago. So I'm going to suggest to you, sir, that you yourself are a wonderful addition of your father's legacy. Well, well, thank you. That's, that's very nice for you to say. Um, uh, my, my father was from the old school. He was a control type of individual. And he felt that uh, he needed control, and he did not relinquish control until he really wanted to retire, retire. He was semi-retired for quite a while, but he didn't give up control of the shares. And it wasn't until he was 85, 86, until he did sell them to me. And that was to you. That wasn't even to these. And, and, I, and I bought them for a good price. I mean, a, a valuated price. But when I told him that I was going to do an ESOP, he, um, well, once again, he was an old school guy he, and, and a control guy. He disagreed with me, mm -hmm. to be frank with you. He did believe in a good culture, a good um, culture within the organization, but giving up control was a little bit, you know, that was difficult. And maybe it came from the, uh, uh, the, uh, the depression where he had to go out and work, and he was a door-to-door -door sales kid selling toilet paper door-to-door -to, -door to wow. make, a, make a buck for the family. And maybe it comes back to that. Well, and also, in, in fairness to all of our fathers, uh, these SOPs, I think, uh, 1974, they were established. They really didn't uh, uh, take off till about the time you saw the uh, brochure in the late 90s, I believe, with uh, changes to the code. Um, so, in credit to your father, these were one of these newfangled things that you, the kid, was sure. getting him into. Sure, absolutely. Ken, for everything that you do and uh, uh, for your participants, thank you for, for what you've done with ESOPs at New Age Industries. But for all of your work in the founding of the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership, thank you on behalf of the ESOP community because what we all agree on is that a strong ESOP community benefits all of the ESOP companies, not just one. And also society in general, I think. That's a great point, and uh, maybe at some point we'll uh, come back and have that conversation uh, as well. Sure. Thank well, you very much for joining us, Ken. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the ESOP Podcast, brought to you by Capital Trustees and their managing directors, Brett Kiesling and Rich Heater. Production assistance provided by Brian Kiesling and Third Circle, Inc., Logo designed by Bitsy Plus Design and music created by Max Kiesling. Join us again next time for the ESOP podcast.